We are going to be in 1 Peter chapter 1, as Pastor Ray has already mentioned. 1 Peter chapter 1. It is good that at the center of our service, we devote ourselves to prayer, as Pastor Ray just led us. So, would you uh, join me? Let's take a brief moment of silence. You can use this time to pray. We're glad that you're here. Take this opportunity to pray to the Lord in silence, and I'll lead us here in just a a moment. Lord God, if we are uncomfortable in the silence before you, let us first know that you are indeed a God to be feared, that you are not a God in any way to be trifled with. You are holy, holy, holy. You are the creator God. You are worthy. Lord, may we look to you this morning. You are holy, and we know that your love is a holy love. We thank you for your grace May we see through your word this morning the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we have our Bibles open. We have your word open, and we pray that you would now open your word to us. Help us, yes, to think about the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, but also his death and his life and our response. May we believe, Lord, may we believe even now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early. I'm reading to you. You don't have to turn there. I'm reading to you for just a moment from John chapter 20. On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter. Do you notice just what's included in Scripture? These little details. Both of them were running together. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Did he have to include that? Yeah, Yeah, that's the word of God. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. 
For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Friends, we've read this already in the uh, responsive reading that we did earlier, which was from later in 1 Peter. But what I want to say from the second part of 1 Peter 1 and, and from what we just read here just now, what I want to say here at the beginning is, is this, is that you must be born again. You know John chapter 3, many of you do and some of you may not. John chapter 3 is Jesus and Nicodemus. And what did Jesus say to Nicodemus there in John chapter 3? Well, Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. And as surely as Jesus said that to him, I say that to you this morning, that you must be born again. And, and look, look at verse 3 of 1 Peter chapter 1. What does it say? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us what? He has caused us, friends, everyone this morning who believes, everyone who truly believes, he has caused us to be born again. You see there? So in John chapter 3, Jesus says to us, he says, you must be born again. And Peter says in here, Later on in chapter 1 and early in chapter 1, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. How? How? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Friends, there is, listen to me, there is no salvation apart from the resurrection. There is no salvation apart from the cross and the resurrection. There is no hope apart from the resurrection. This is not just me saying this because it's Easter. This is me wanting to be faithful to the Bible, to what the Word of God says. 1 Corinthians 15, there's no hope apart from the resurrection. Our text this morning is 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 12, with special focus on verses 3 through 5. We're going to have uh, two main headings and, and then five or six truths. I'm trying to be precise this morning, so five or six truths, two main headings. But our text is 1 Peter chapter 1. Our title this morning is Men Leading Their Families. No, that wouldn't be good. Our title is Tips for Your Finances. No, that's not our title because that's these things, that's not the heart of Christianity. That's not what the gospel is about. No, the title this morning is Jesus Christ and Him Crucified. 
and raised from the dead. You've heard that phrase, right? It's a wonderful phrase. Jesus Christ and him crucified and raised from the dead. Or you could put it like this. Explosive joy. Jesus Christ raised from the dead. Explosive joy. The title this morning is not, it's not do more, do better. Do you see? It's not do better, work harder, do more. No, the title is is that it's done already. It's Jesus Christ, who he is and what he has done. And the explosive joy that comes with it. There's, uh, there's, There's two main headings this morning. The second heading is Jesus' resurrection was fulfilled as we see in the New Testament. I want to talk for a brief time this morning about some alternative theories to the resurrection. Our theory, our theory is John chapter 20, is what the Bible says about the resurrection. But we're going to see secondly that Jesus' resurrection was fulfilled in the New Testament. But the first thing, the first heading this morning is this, Jesus' resurrection was foretold in the Old Testament. Jesus' resurrection was foretold in the Old Testament. Uh, glance down with me at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10. Peter writes there, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Now notice verse 12. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. The first thing this morning, the first thing is 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 12. Jesus' resurrection was foretold in the Old Testament. Now, do you see how I get that? Do you see how I get that from verses 10 through 12? Look at what it says. Jesus' resurrection was foretold in the Old Testament. What does it say? It says that, here's another way that I could say it. Another way to put it would be this, prophets preached glory preceded by suffering. Prophets preached glory preceded by suffering. Look at the end of verse 11 again, indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. The Old Testament points forward to Jesus Christ. And specifically, it points forward to his resurrection and first of all, to his crucifixion. Now I'd like for you to turn with me and give me just a minute or two here in Psalm 22. Keep your place and turn or at least listen carefully to Psalm 22. Just briefly, but very importantly, Is there any verse in the Old Testament that says explicitly 
Jesus will be his name and he will rise from the dead on the third day? Well, no and yes. Remembering what it said, remembering what it said in 1 Peter 1, 10 through 12, that the prophets, which means the, the Old Testament, and, and David was a prophet, remembering what it says, that they did not understand everything that they wrote, but they did know that the Spirit of Christ was working in them, predicting both the sufferings, do you remember, and the glory of the Christ to come. Keeping that clear in our minds, we remember, and we looked at this, of course, in depth on Friday night, but just very quickly here, Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's Jesus' prayer from the cross. So Psalm 22, verse 1, is Jesus' prayer. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Look at verse 6 of Psalm 22. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me, they make mouths at me, they wag their heads. If you know the story of Jesus dying on the cross, and if you've read the Gospels, if you haven't, let me encourage you to read the Gospels. Maybe begin by reading the Gospel of John. But if you have, this should sound familiar. This is the New Testament. This is Jesus. Verse 8 of Psalm 22, he trusts in the Lord, let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Verse 16, for dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. You see, the thing about Psalm 22 is that this does relate David's experience but there's no way that what David actually says here, there's nothing that matches this in his life. This is Jesus. I can count all my bones, verse 17. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. For my clothing they cast lots. And then the word resurrection is not mentioned. But verse 21, the tone changes. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. And the original language there is one word. When it says in verse 21, Psalm 22, verse 21, when it says, you have rescued me, the original language is just one word. That's just one cry, one shout of deliverance. Yes, you've rescued me. And because this psalm is a prayer of Jesus, even more in a sense than it is a prayer of David, this too speaks of his victory and not only of his defeat. It speaks of his despair and of his victory, of his resurrection. All, all to say, all to say, back in 1 Peter, all to say the prophets, the Old Testament, they were looking. They did not know when the Spirit of Christ was moving them in the predictions of his, what? Of his sufferings and glory. Prophets preached glory preceded by suffering. Do you see? And there's no more clear example of that than Psalm 22. But not only do we see that in verses 10 through 12, look back again at the main thought this morning. The main thought, look at the end of verse 3. Verse 3. 
the end of verse 3 of 1 Peter chapter 1, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Not only, not only number one, was Jesus' resurrection foretold in the Old Testament, but Jesus' resurrection was fulfilled in the New Testament. Jesus' resurrection was fulfilled in the New Testament. I've really benefited from a guy named uh, Gabe Fleur. And I was aware of these things, but I was reminded of these things. You know, there are alternate uh, theories. And I love how he points out these alternate theories, these alternative theories to the resurrection. Really what they are, at the end of the day, they are simply just attempts Desperate attempts, really, I would say, desperate ways to try to explain away the truth, trying to just find some alternative to the truth. So let me just briefly, uh, I think this is pretty interesting, let me just briefly highlight two alternative theories to the resurrection. But you know what? First, uh, let me just read just another minute from John 20. You can read about the resurrection in all the Gospels. As I said already, if you've never uh, come face-to-face with the Lord Jesus then how are you going to do that? First of all, you need to do that. If you've never come face to face with the Lord Jesus, you need to bow the knee to King Jesus and repent of your sins today. It's it's imperative. But how are you going to do that? You're, You're not going to do that by having a mystical encounter with Jesus. You're not going to do that by going home and and saying, Jesus, please appear to me. The way that you're going to come face to face with Jesus, listen to me, is through the word. And particularly in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's how you're going to behold God in the face of Jesus. So let me encourage you again. It's been said that for believers, there's no better place to read in your Bible as a believer than maybe every day something from the Gospels. Maybe every day something from the Gospels. Pick up J.C. Ryle to help you go through the Gospels. And if you're an unbeliever, we're glad you're here and you need to see Jesus in the Gospels because you need him because he's the only Savior. And so you can read about the resurrection in all four Gospels and just a few more verses from John. Mary stood weeping outside the tomb and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. I say that any alternative theory is a, is, a, is a desperate attempt by those with blinded eyes. The God, little g, of this world, the God of this world, Satan, the devil, has blinded their eyes. So you just try very feverishly. Well, I've, I've got to find another explanation because you, you, you can't. If you're an unbeliever, or if you're a Christian and you're talking to an unbeliever, you've got to understand this. They can't. You can't accept the, the truth. You can't accept it because it, it's just so true and it's just so simple and it's just so straightforward and it's just so plain and, 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 you, just, and you don't have eyes to see because you're blind and you, you've hardened your hearts. And, and so this, there's, there's the HT and the ST. 
There's the HT, which is the hallucination theory, which says that uh, Jesus, Jesus never rose from the dead. Instead, what explains Jesus' resurrection from the dead is not the Bible, but it's the HT. It's the hallucination theory. People experienced him as being raised from the dead. They surely thought he was raised from the dead, but they were hallucinating. That's the hallucination theory. It's actually uh, fairly popular, even from unbelieving Bible scholars. It was, a, it was a hallucination, which you run into an immediate problem with the HT, as it's called. And the problem is, is that the scripture says in 1 Corinthians 15 that not only did he appear to one and then to another, but the Bible says he appeared even at one time. Do you know this? He appeared to some 500 people at one time. And he appeared to different people at different times. So the hallucination theory must be saying, it has to say that Jesus appeared to this person at this time and they were hallucinating. He didn't really appear to them after his death. And then later on, he appeared later on to a different person at a different time and that person hallucinated too. And then he appeared to 500 and and it was a group hallucination. Well, the point is not to make fun. The point is sad. The point is sad because the truth is right here and the truth is in Jesus. And the truth is Jesus. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. Do you see? So, so bow the knee to King Jesus. Forget this silly, silly, folly, foolishness. Repent of such things. It, it, it's normally not. It's normally not a treasured intellectual theory. No, it's not normally not. It's never not. The reason people go to hell because they persist in unbelief is not because, doggone it, I love the hallucination theory. It's because I love my sin. I love my sin. But what you need is God's grace to reach into your life so that you would love the Savior. What you need is to love the Savior because he is worthy. You need to see that you haven't loved the Savior and that he alone is worthy and that you need what he did on the cross for sinners. You need to love the Savior and not love your sin. The issue is not, all, it's not intellectual, it's moral. It's moral. The reason you will not follow Jesus is not because of the truth of the resurrection. It is because you want to be king and Lord of your own life. Well, I know I'm giving a few minutes to this, but I think it's important. Not only uh, do you have the what's called, and again, I've appreciated this brother reading him this week. Not only do you have the HT, but you have the, the ST. What's that? Let me read that to you for just a second. Listen to this. What's the ST? The swoon theory. The swoon theory teaches that Jesus did not really die on the cross, but merely swooned or fainted only to be revived in the cool of the garden tomb. Jesus did not really rise from the dead. He merely swooned or fainted only to be revived in the cool of the garden tomb. And this has become a less popular view in the last hundred years because of what we now know about crucifixion, because of what we know about the flogging that comes. Listen, you know, Jesus was flogged before he was crucified. And the Romans devised crucifixion precisely to say, look here, 
if you mess with us, this is what happens to you. And, and nobody survives that. Nobody survives death by Roman crucifixion. And, and many people died before that. Many people died by the flogging that came before the crucifixion. They already expired, so to speak. No, the swoon theory is uh, a bit out of favor these days because of what we now know, because it would have to say that Jesus revived in the tomb and then he did what no healthy strong man could have done. Not to mention a man who had been flogged and crucified laying in a tomb, what no healthy strong man could have done, which is to come to life and roll away this crazy heavy stone. Do you see? Not even a healthy, not even Pastor Ben. But no, and then, of course, he would have had to have overcome basically a team of Navy SEALs, of Roman soldiers, as it has been said, whose whole jobs and lives were at stake. No, 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 no. Let's stick with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Let's stick with First Peter. He has caused us. Look at this. Look at First Peter again, chapter 1, and we're thinking about this second heading. Jesus' resurrection was fulfilled in the New Testament. It's all over the Bible. It's all over the New Testament in particular. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 1.3 According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now, notice that three-letter word, 1 Peter 1.6, though now for a little while, be patient, friends. It may only be 80 years. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Verse 8, I've always said this is my testimony verse, but really it's every Christian's verse, 1 Peter 1.8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. That's what it means to be a Christian. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your fate, the salvation of your souls. And he goes on in this letter to speak about the resurrection. And he has laid it out clearly there at the end of verse 3. Again, look at it. Let your eyes fall on it again. Hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus' resurrection was foretold. It was fulfilled. It is our hope. When the Bible talks about the resurrection of Jesus, I believe, like Peter does in verse 3. And you notice in verse 3, he doesn't talk about the cross. When he speaks about the revelation as the means of our salvation, he assumes it's the cross and the revelation and the resurrection, excuse me. When he isolates the cross, he's also thinking about the resurrection. 
It's both. We are saved by the resurrection. The risen Jesus is our salvation. By the way, you know what the common denominator of the swoon theory, Jesus didn't really rise from the dead. He merely fainted and then revived later. And the common denominator with that and the hallucination theory, Jesus didn't really rise from the dead. People were hallucinating. The common denominator is an immediate and prior rejection of anything supernatural. Christianity is supernatural. The resurrection is supernatural. You being a Christian is supernatural. If you're here this morning, and this morning, by the grace of God, you believe for the first time, that's not because you're a good person, and it's not because you did a good thing by receiving or accepting Jesus. If you believe in Jesus, that's supernatural. You're a Christian. You exist. That's supernatural. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, this is why for Christians, it's not hard. For Christians, you say, well, okay, thanks for sharing with me about those theories, but I, I hope you say, I hope you say, I don't have, a, I don't have an issue with that. I, I believe it. I receive it. Good and amen. Because for the true Christian, we have the Lord God and we have his word and we know that what it means for God to be God is that he can do what he wants to do. And he raised the Lord Jesus from the dead. You see, listen, I'm speaking to some people here today who are, who are here from college. And I'm glad to see you, brothers. There may be a sister here. I see a couple of my, my good young men here this morning. But there's a, there's a prior commitment, listen to me, a prior commitment on the part of the unbeliever to naturalism. This world is the only thing that there is. Materialism. My senses. My five senses. That's what I must go on. This world is all that there is. It's a closed world, but there's, they're forgetting something, and that is God and his word. And you say, well, you, don't you begin to reason in a circular way? Like, aren't you appealing to the Bible? Don't you need to, don't you need to show them that the Bible's God's word first? Well, yeah, I'm being circular. This is God. This is his word. And in one sense, either you receive it or you don't. It is the word of God. And the Christian says, yeah, yeah, this is, the, this is the truest of all truths. This is what we're saying this morning. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is not something that you say, yes, I believe that in my private faith. This is public theology. This is for the world. This, is the, this explains the world. Jesus Christ risen from the dead. How does it explain the world? Because there's a new world coming. Because as Pastor Ray prayed this morning, the resurrection of Jesus is the down payment on the resurrection of the world. He is making all things new. Blessed be God and Father, 1 Peter chapter 1. His resurrection was foretold. It was fulfilled. It is our hope. It is our salvation. Don't forget about his life. Don't forget about the ascension. Don't forget about the second coming. Don't forget about the virgin birth. Don't forget about Jesus fulfilling all righteousness. The key difference between you and I and Jesus is that we're sinners and he never sinned. There is no salvation apart from the resurrection. Now we read again, 1 Peter 1, 3 through 9. And I mentioned those five or six truths. Let me 
quickly give those to you. You can forget about the two headings for now. Okay? Give me your attention and let me give you these five or six things. First, salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord. First Peter chapter one, by the way, what are these? These are truths for the Christian today rooted in the resurrection from this passage. Truths for the Christian today rooted in the resurrection from this passage. Salvation belongs to the Lord, verse three, according to his great mercy. What does it say? He has caused us to be born again. Friends, salvation belongs to the Lord, and that's the continuation of salvation. That's the future salvation that we're waiting for. And yes, that's also the beginning. But it's not just the beginning. It's the middle and the end as well. And it's right there in verse three. God is the author of salvation. Next, next, we do not deserve this salvation. We do not deserve this salvation. No, what does it say there? And again, in verse one, just look at the text very simply, according to his great mercy. You ever heard this phrase, not according to our deserts? not talking about donuts or ice cream, but not according to our deserve, not according to what we deserve, rather according to his mercy. Those are the first two. The, the rest come in fairly rapid succession. But let me say again, I've already said it. What are these? These are truths for the Christian today. Truths for the Christian today. If that's not you, then our prayer is that you would become like us. And let me tell you about us. We're perfect here. (laughs) Let me tell you about us. (laughs) No. I'll tell you about us in and of ourselves, me in and of myself, a sinner deserving God's judgment and deserving according to Scripture. And if I'm honest and if you're honest, deserving the wrath of God and eternity for hell. That's us. And let me tell you what else about us. We're covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. We're trusting in his perfection. We have a perfect savior. We have a holy God. We have a righteous God. And we have a righteous, perfect savior who lived a perfect life and died on our behalf. He died as our substitute and he rose for the dead. So that when I say we want you to believe and become like us, that's what I mean is to believe and become like us. And we can't take any credit for that at all. Next, we bless, we can bless God, and that is good, but God is blessed. You know, this whole thing, it's, you know, in the original language, verses three through nine of First Peter is one sentence. It's one sentence in the original. It's like a big run-on sentence if you're a student, but it's like six or seven verses, and this whole thing begins with praise, with doxology. What does he say in verse three? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, God does not need you to bless him. You need to follow the Lord Jesus Christ this morning and become a Christian. If you're not, and if you are, then continue on in the faith. Continue on in the faith. But remember, God does not need you to bless him. He is the blessed God. Peter is not saying here, you have to help him by blessing. He's saying, praise God. He is the blessed God. Salvation belongs to the Lord. We don't deserve this salvation. He is the blessed God. Jesus was raised for our justification, to use the words of Paul. 
According to his great mercy, verse 3, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He was raised for our justification. No resurrection, no salvation. No resurrection, no hope. No resurrection, preaching is in vain. This is ridiculous what we're doing here. No resurrection, eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. But God, but resurrection, but Jesus, alive from the dead. Here's something. God is keeping our inheritance for us. For all who are in Christ. Russia or your own, your own folly and decision or whatever can cause what you possess here in this life to rot and decay and perish, and you could go without. God is keeping our inheritance. Listen, God is keeping our inheritance for us, and he is keeping us for our inheritance. That's exactly what this says. Verse 4, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. That's like the divine passive right there in verse 4. Do you see? Kept in heaven by who? By God. Kept in heaven by for you, who by God's power are being guarded. God is keeping our inheritance for us, and He is keeping us for our inheritance. And uh, and you, the people of God, are God's inheritance. And God is our inheritance. God is keeping our inheritance for us, and He is keeping us for our inheritance. And our inheritance is God. What do you want? <laughs> what do you want? You want to die and go to heaven and God give you a lot of money? Money itself is not the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all. Money itself is a gift from God to be used, but the treasure is God. The treasure is Jesus Christ. Jesus is our inheritance. We, his people, are his inheritance. And I close with this, as one man has said, one illustration that I find helpful. You think about a man who's having his 40th birthday party. And you know, I don't have to tell you, of course, of what goes into a surprise party. I had to be the guy uh, five or six years ago to drive my father-in-law and try to keep it secret to drive him to his surprise party. It didn't go so well. It didn't work perfectly. But at a surprise party, you have two things. You have the people who are organizing and getting the party together and making it just right and wonderful, as it's been said. And then the other key factor, a really key factor, is the person who is going to bring the birthday girl or the birthday boy to the party at the right time and in the right place. And what this passage is saying to us is that God is actually doing both of those. He is providing and setting up and planning the greatest party, if you will, ever. And he is the one who brings his people to their inheritance. He prepares the inheritance and he prepares us and keeps us and guards us for the inheritance because we will be raised from the dead just like our older brother, our elder brother, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the first fruits. He will see it. He will see it to the end. Suffering Christian, read the book of 1 Peter. Can you bear with it for 80 years? 
if, if God chooses for your life to be full of suffering, it says focus on the glory, which is God. Let's pray together. Lord, we pray that we could go back to your word, that we would be renewed in our minds according to your word through Jesus Christ. We pray that we would have true pity on those who are blinded, remembering first of all that we ourselves were once foolish and darkened in our minds and in our hearts. Oh God, let us never forget if we are your people today, if we are believers, may we never forget that it is only by your grace that we are born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And may we, like Peter, say, blessed be the God and Father who has done this, who has caused this. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.